Can you believe it? We truly can heal ourselves. Thank you everyone for listening to part one of episode 34, the polyvagal theory, how to heal chronic pain through the polyvagal theory. Check out Les and I's conversation on YouTube under my YouTube handle, Christine Zethras, Z-E-T-H-R-A-U-S. And don't miss out on part two of our conversation. What was interesting was we had technical issues, which ended up cutting our recording. And then we hopped right back into it a few minutes later. Nothing is an accident, my friends, because the second part is mind-blowing. Welcome to the How Coronavirus Saved My Life podcast. My name is Christine. I'm a mental health nurse practitioner who got coronavirus in April of 2020 and had long COVID symptoms for months. I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting better until I healed myself through unwinding my childhood conditioning. This is my story on how coronavirus saved my life and how I healed myself along with others sharing their own personal stories and how they are navigating through their own healing. How Coronavirus Saved My Life, Episode 34, The Polyvagal. Nelson Mandela said, it always seems impossible until it's done. These powerful words, large on a projector screen at an addiction conference I recently attended, was one of the biggest full circle moments of my life. This beautiful quote, it always seems impossible until it's done, was the introduction slide to the polyvagal theory presentation, the science of feeling safe. This life-changing slide with this beautiful quote, along with an awe-inspiring, beautiful background picture of large sunbeams going through a cloud, tapping the ocean water beneath, stopped me in my tracks. I sobbed. I started this podcast, How Coronavirus Saved My Life, as a love letter to humanity. This podcast is about my journey as a healthcare worker who got coronavirus in April of 2020, followed by months of long COVID symptoms. I had a pivotal moment in my backyard where I thought I was going to die from the acute COVID symptoms and then thought healing would never come with the long COVID symptoms. Until I healed myself by doing self-love meditations, creating safety tools for my brain, reprogramming my subconscious, unwinding all that nasty childhood conditioning, all while regulating my nervous system and stimulating my vagus nerve. I did not fully know there was actually a science between the healing tools and techniques I incorporated during my healing journey until a few weeks ago, as I was sitting in that auditorium listening to Dr. Aria, a pain psychologist, explaining chronic pain through the lens of the polyvagal theory, the polyvagal theory, the science of feeling safe. In this episode, Dr. Aria, which he said I can call him less, explains the connect, will explain the connection between the polyvagal theory and chronic pain recovery. He is a pain psychologist who's been practicing for over 18 years with Kaiser Permanente Medical Group in Northern California, and he serves as a lead pain psychologist for the Kaiser Northern California to help redesign chronic pain workshop curriculum to promote and incorporate modern pain science, mindfulness, 
and acceptance and commitment therapy. Les is one of the co-founders of Minda Health, which is an online pain recovery program, and he serves as the chief science officer. He specializes in treating psychopsychological disorders, persistent pain, and medically unexplained problems. He has a passion for mind-body interventions. He has a YouTube channel, and he is a podcast co-host of Dynamic Healing. The purpose of this episode is to educate listeners about the polyvagal theory and help listeners with chronic pain discover the science of feeling safe so they can begin their journey of healing and feel safe while doing so. Thank you, Les, for coming on my podcast today to talk about healing chronic pain through this groundbreaking polyvagal theory. Well, it's a true pleasure. I got to tell you this is when I heard how you healed organically without all the fancy bells and whistles of a theory and interventions. It sounds like you're the right person to talk with and to spread the message. So a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Um, when I was sitting in that auditorium, you know, you know, as a nurse practitioner, you know, we have part of our licensure, we have to go to, you know, conferences for our educational credits. And quite frankly, I usually don't really like going, but this particular, I don't know what it was that we were just totally aligned. And that picture you had with the sunbeams coming through the cloud, the reason why part of that was a full circle moment was because when I had those acute coronavirus symptoms in my backyard, I couldn't breathe. And my brain said, you need to call 911. And then my gut said, if you call 911, you're going to die because you're going to believe it. And then I was breathing better a few minutes later, but I was still really, really hot. And I laid down on one of the lounges in my backyard. And I was just like, I'm so hot. I'm so hot. I'm so hot. I just want water. I just want water. And literally there was one little rain cloud above me with sunbeams coming through wow. and big, huge raindrops. There was no other clouds in the sky. And so seeing you and hearing this was just like, whoa, you know, so we are definitely aligned. I love it because this is going to help so many people who have chronic pain and, and are so frustrated and tired of all of it. Um, I'm very honored that you came on my podcast today to talk about this, um, the polyvagal theory. When I went to your website, I was blown away because there's a picture of you standing there very mindfully, you know, and just these bold letters that say ready for pain recovery, your pain is real. So is the solution. I bet there are so many people with chronic pain who have never heard those words. You're right. And very often, whether it's a physician or a therapist or um, a, a patient, we are told and, and we tend to believe what we believe um, based on what we're told. And it's kind of like with your intervention with yourself in that moment, you decided to make a different pathway in your brain. You decided wholeheartedly, even though you were struggling in quicksand, you did something important. I like to use metaphors to explain my, my messages. You basically made full contact with the quicksand, and that's what allowed you to float. Mm. You made contact. And that moment, you restart to retrain your brain that even though I'm going through something just overwhelming and it's a mysterious disease that we really didn't understand, right, as we went through 2020, and with your medical background, it doesn't matter, right? When you're when you feel activated, 
whether it's trauma, whether it's uh, long hauler syndrome or COVID for that matter, or life stressors, when you activate it, our human response is to push the bad things away. How do I get rid of it? But you did something intriguing. You basically made full contact with it. And it's almost like you went into the middle of the tornado and you didn't get swept up it. But even though you kept on getting pulled, you kept on centering yourself over and over. And what you were doing at that point, you were retuning your autonomic nervous system, your nervous system in and of itself. So it's it's a it's a beautiful thing. I, I, that's why when I heard your story, I'm like, I've got to get on because yes, you're right. We are very aligned. But the cool thing is you did yours in such a practical way, which is beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate that. I love that. I created new pathways in my brain. I love I'm now that's going to be my thing today. I'm going to create a new pathway in my brain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what are we going to do today? That's actually right. super exciting. I love that. Yeah. I am. Um, it was interesting because not just the acute symptoms. This is when I was started getting the long COVID symptoms and they were very autoimmune like, Mm. And I mean, one day I looked like the Michelin man. And then the next day I was super skinny, you know, like I had fluid and, but the weird thing about it was the symptoms would just come one at a time. You would have maybe horrible brain fog for a couple hours and then it would go away. Um, and then numbness tingling in my hands and, and then, you know, they were like, Oh, coronavirus, you've got a sore throat. It wasn't a sore throat. It felt like a piece of popcorn in the back of my mouth. And so I was like, what? So after I thought I was going to die and then the beautiful rain cloud with the sunbeams, I kind of collected my thoughts and came in my room in my, you know, quarantine room. And I was like, then I was like, what is this? I thought I was going to die a few minutes ago. What's going on? And so I pulled my books out, you know, and they didn't really talk about the vagus nerve very much. I don't even, I can't even really remember, you know, what, which one the vagus nerve was. And, um, you know, just remembering it for a test. And as I was looking at that, I was like, every symptom I have the vagus nerve interacted with. Yes. Yes. I mean, absolutely. And for the audience who may not be familiar with the, with the word vagus, and by the way, it's not Las Vegas, but yeah. V-A-U-S, right? Um, <laughs> I made that mistake when I was first starting it several decades ago. Um, so V-A-G-U-S in Latin from English, uh, from Latin to English, it means the wandering nerve. And the reason it's dubbed as the wandering nerve, it's the 10th cranial nerve. Actually, it's the longest cranial nerve. And so it starts at the base. So it's your brainstem. And it comes down, and most people don't realize it comes down the carotid, by the carotid artery. And so I call it, now I live in California, so you might live in a different state or a different country. And Highway 5 is a long highway that, you know, goes all the way from Oregon all the way down to California. And I consider that it's like a long highway and all the exits are connected to your organs, your heart, your liver, your pancreas, your gallbladder, you know, everything, your lungs, your guts. And then it sort of stops down there at the, at the gut area. That is why very often when someone says, you know, what's your gut feeling? What they're asking you is what's your vagus gut feeling? Because the vagus nerve is the nerve that communicates messages from the body to the brain and the brain to the body. So it's bi-directional. It's, uh, it's what we call an internal commander. So it sort of commands internal messages and when we can correctly stimulate it as you did, you pulled, you did, again, I'm just so amazed by what you did intuitively uh, as a healer, as what uh, I love nurse practitioners in a sense, because you guys have a different whole, you guys have that 
bridge between the nurse, between the doctor, and you yep. guys put the best worlds in. And your interventions are usually great. It's always about how can we get you healthy, not always about medications. But right. with that said, the vagus nerve is really an important vital um, nerve to actually communicates this, am I safe or not? So mm. it's a very, very important, it tends to send messages. Uh, and we can unpackage that a little bit more as we go through, but I just wanted to pause to make sure people understood that the vagus nerve is a very powerful thing. And you'll hear a lot of misinformation out there about how to do it and what to do. Uh, and we want to make sure we clarify that today. Yeah, I thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that's actually, you know, was that was the very first episode when I was talking about, um, you know, everything that happened in the vagus nerve. And I've had people said, I didn't even know what the vagus nerve and people were now looking it up. Yeah. And I mean, I was on this one podcast and she was said, I can't believe when you hum to a baby that's stimulating your vagus nerve. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I noticed that when I'm falling asleep, I always hum, like I never knew why, you know? Um, but, and the cool thing about the, the vagus nerve is that it is so easy to stimulate, you know, yeah. it is so either so many really simple techniques to stimulate it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like a God nerve in your body. You know, it is the nerve that's going to help you heal yourself. Yeah. Um, so before we get into all that, can you give the listeners and viewers a little bit of background of where you're from, where, where you did your school, like where you're born, yeah. like you're kind of a little bit of your life. Yes, absolutely. First of all, like I said, so, you know, uh, I'm native to California. So San Jose is my hometown and, uh, um, now they call it Silicon Valley, I guess. And it was a it was a town that was beautiful, quiet. It wasn't very busy. Um, and my claim to fame here, just on a funny note, whenever someone says San Jose, I'm like, and they're like, where? I said Silicon Valley. They oh, it can be anywhere around the world. My claim wow. to fame is about uh, we where we lived um, was about twelve houses down from the same area where we lived was where um, Apple computer was built in the garage. Mm. Uh, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs. Now the funny story is this is I used to ride my bicycle, my you know red line bicycle cool with all my cronies behind me. And I was about fifth or sixth grade. And uh, we used to ride up and down the street and we saw these guys with the garage open with beards and smoking. So I thought it was drugs. I went home and told my mom, these older guys, they were probably in their twenties or like you know, early twenties, but these old men, I said, are uh, doing drugs. My mom's like, keep away from those boys. A year later, (laughs) a year later, about a year or two later, uh, I think in seventh or eighth grade, um, a gentleman came to my middle school and it was Steve Wozniak with his beard and uh, buttoned up shirt. And Steve Wozniak is the person that actually created Apple computer. And they taught us how to program. So that's my claim to fame. And that's where there you go. And uh, and the other thing is this about me is I'll tell you the truth in this one. It's almost funny now that I say it was not, I used to be shameful of saying this. I never wanted to work with people with chronic pain. I was actually, I'm like, oh, heck no, I don't want them. So during one of my uh, clerkships as part of a training during um, uh, grad school and uh, a residency, we get exposed to different disciplines, uh, different specialties. And one of it, I was very focused on neuropsychology. I wanted to focus on the brain. And I did do a training in that. Um, However, when I was doing a clerkship rotation in a pain management clinic, and when my first um, exposure to someone with chronic pain was them picking up a chair inside the doctor's office uh, and throwing it across the room because they couldn't get the opioids. 
And I said to them, oh, no, no, I don't want this. I never want to work with this population. Never say never, by the way. Right. Here I am, am, you know, two decades later, I'm loving this and I'm loving what my passion is. This all happened by accident when one of my patients accidentally, is what I call it, accidentally got better and the pain resolved. When I told my colleagues, uh, I was in training then, I think it was a first year residency. I told my attending, I told my colleagues, and they're like, that's impossible. People don't get better. I said, no, really. I mean, this person is no longer like zero pain. They're like, well, it was psychological in the beginning. And I said, maybe it was. And so I kept quiet for several years. Long story short of this is, I now am bold and speak out. I don't need someone to believe me. If you want to heal, follow the pathway. And if not, step aside. I love that. Oh my gosh, you are speaking my language right now. You don't have to believe me. That's the same thing with me is like, here's the things that I use. It may work for you. There's many paths to healing, but you know, I, I think that what you're doing right now is probably most likely not working, you know? So these are tools and techniques I use, use them or not. It's up to you. You know, I can't heal for you, you know, but yes, yeah, one thing is like, when I heal, you heal, when you heal, I heal. And so instead of saving and rescuing and doing all this stuff and trying to convince, here you go, you either take it or you don't, you know what I mean? That's it. <laughs> you know, I love that. I love that. And you're so right about the chronic pain thing, because I never thought I would have a full circle moment that would involve chronic pain. Okay. Cause you know, as working in, you know, at a hospital, the County hospital, you know, where we have a lot of like homeless populations, schizophrenic, uh, you know, a lot of addiction. I hate the word addiction, by the way, but I think there's a lot of shame and societal mm-hmm. stuff attached to that, but that's a whole nother podcast I could go on. But, um, but you know, so there's all this, all this stuff. So you're constantly like having patients, clients that are wanting, you know, benzodiazepines and opiates mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And, and plus being raised by a father who abused everything, you know, every kind of drug, he didn't have any pain. He just, I mean, emotional pain. Right. Right. But, um, but so, you know, I have, we all have our own bias. Right. And right. there's never, I always feel like with other providers, we always sort of have this attitude about people with chronic pain and, and being on opiates. It's almost yes. like, yeah, here they here. But when you, when you and your other co-presenter were talking about, you know, pain and people, cause you just assume, oh, they're being dramatic. If you touch them, they're like, oh, you know, we don't think about the metabolism and the genetics yeah. and all the other things involved. And it really opened my eyes big time because I was, I said, we're all just making assumptions over here and we're medical professionals, right? With, with yes. degrees, you know, and we're making assumptions. And I love that you had that moment. I mean, because this, this is really, this is truly groundbreaking because in my hospital, you know, they just started about a year over a year ago, like we now have a suboxone clinic. And I remember them talking about Suboxone, which is used to treat opiate withdrawal. Mm-hmm. And then they use it for opiate maintenance, opiate dependence maintenance. And they were so excited about it. And I was just like, why are we all so excited about this? I'm like, why are we just trying to find this once again, another Band-Aid, okay? And in, the, in my psychiatry world, everything seems to be fixed or focused on the relapse. What are you going to do to not relapse? Mm. And it drives me nuts because I'm like, why are we not talking about why you started in the first place? Beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think you're really getting to the root of the issues. And um, I think very often we don't quite understand why something happens. And, and if we don't understand, I think what we want to do is realize this, whether whether we believe emotional pain 
is um, amplifying and maintaining it, any form of mind-body work you do will actually promote a sense of healthiness to the to the brain and the body, to the nervous system. And I think your your attitude is is very um, it's small compared to everyone else because your your opinion is very right with your opinion. What you just said matches with modern pain neuroscience. Okay. Now I do want to let the audience know, and I think you can agree with me on this. Is we're not saying that suboxone is bad. That's not I don't right. think you're saying. Correct. You're saying is look there there we need to look at other avenues. Right. I think we get happy when and I agree with this. When I heard about suboxone, I'm like wow, this is pretty intriguing. Um, and my first thought was, I bet you this will help doctors feel better that they can do something. Doctors, nurse practitioners, nurses, people, providers mainly that you tend to see, including physical therapists, psychologists, they just want someone to stop suffering. And I think sometimes the pill is there like, wow, I found something. This has got to be, if the pill is the only tool that you have in your toolbox as a provider, yeah. it's going to be yeah. day. Yeah. And I told, I mean, yes, I completely agree because- Suboxone, you know, definitely helps that opiate withdrawal piece. Like you see them, you know, and we've, you know, if you work on the consult medical floor, you know, you know, we're looked at to have the answer and we feel helpless. We're human. We feel helpless if we don't have an answer. And so you're right. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of open my eyes on that, like, because I'm making an assumption. Um, But, you know, I, I just, I see a bigger vision, you know, I just not in this limited thinking like, okay, okay. So we're going to do this now. Now what, what are we going to do? That's really going to help people. And this is why I love this healing your chronic pain through the polyvagal theory. So how did you get into the polyvagal? How did you discover this? Was this through school or, or what was that? Yeah, um, funny. Again, it, it's always things I don't want to do. I end up doing. Uh, so I've stopped saying is I'll never be a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I should say more of that. That's amazing. So, yeah. So the reality is, I remember sitting in my first year of grad school, and um, one of the things my professor, who I didn't realize, Dr. Um, uh, Richard Gewertz, is world renowned for biofeedback uh, and heart rate variability. Whole different episode, probably. But um, it's, he's, he's very famous for showing studies on how when you do breathing, it slows everything down. And he happened to tie that biology of, um, you know, calming the nervous system down to the polyvagal. He says, here's the latest paper that came out. And it was Dr. Stephen Porges, the creator of the polyvagal theory, who I didn't realize they were friends. And, oh, wow. Again, and, you know, you don't realize, you didn't realize how famous people are. You just kind of like don't realize and so as I went through school, I just kind of put aside that paper and had in the back of my mind. It wasn't until my uh, residency training and I was getting out of it, I did my fellowship in pain management and neuropsych. And um, in that moment, I realized that the autonomic nervous system really was, I kept on uh, realizing that people, when they had stressful life, trauma, poor relationships, finances, I noticed that their pain was amplified. And then when I talked to war veterans, like World War II veterans who had a really happy life, and they had PTSD, but they had more going in their life. They were moving towards what matters in their life. They were golfing. They were connecting with fun and safe people. Mm. They had beauty around them, love people loving. And I noticed that they had pain, but they weren't in my clinic as much, and they got better faster. And so I found a correlation. And then I realized, and talking to my old professor, Dr. Richard Gewertz, and basically that he highlighted the vagus nerve and that's when the love story began fast forward here so i kind of left that alone kind of was dabbling in it a little bit it wasn't until uh coronavirus 
So mm. what happened during coronavirus, so I had never met the person I studied, Dr. Stephen Porges. And I belong to what we call a think tank, and we call it the Wednesday group or the dynamic healing group. It's a world of international researchers and clinicians. Mm-hmm. And every um, um, twice a month we meet and we, uh, we present inf- each other's information from cellular things called Cell Danger by Robert Navio to all the way up to Stephen Porges on the nervous system. So these are some people who are world famous and we invited them. And that moment um, I told Stephen Porges, so I had to present on chronic pain. And Stephen Porges was not aware of anything about chronic pain because he was focused on um, autism and trauma and adults. And he was just kind of focused on that stuff, more of the children's stuff. And that's when he started to become uh, enamored by chronic pain. And he said, hey, this is the same system. And oh as we God. talked about this, yeah. So we got the guru himself. Uh, so I'm very blessed. So he has mentored me and continues to mentor me. Um, and I don't know how and why I'm so blessed to be able to get someone um, I can email him, I can call him, I can, anytime I have something about it, he helps educate me about it. And so I get it from the guru himself. So it's almost like I don't need to read his book, but I do read his book. Um, yeah. So it was, and that's how I came across it. So, so COVID, I made a promise to myself when COVID started. I said to myself, and I said, I have two kids, and I told him, I said, when you get out of COVID, make sure you're better than you than you were in it. Mm. So, and this is how it is. And so my betterment was basically moving towards Stephen Porges. And that's when my, my model of treatment tightened up a little bit more than it ever has. And when I started to use the framework of the polyvagal theory, mm. it helped people feel less shame. For example, I'm meditating, I'm exercising, I've got the right dietary. I don't know why my pain is not getting better. And when I use the polyvagal theory, I explained to them how and why they were stuck they were not damaged. They were just stuck in a loop. I love that. I love that because literally, you know, I have clients that'll say, I feel stuck, you know, especially if they're in that chronic pain, addiction, pain pill cycle, you know, along with alcohol and stuff. And, you know, I I love that you, I love that you just said it because they, because that's the whole cycle of shame itself. Again, back to, you know, we're like, why, what are you going to do to prevent relapse, you know? And, and I usually, I don't even, even talk about relapse because I'm like, these are your choices. You can pick what, because if you, that's just already setting somebody up to fail is you're putting pressure and you're saying, you're already saying you're going to fail is what are you going to do? You're going to go to AA and all that stuff, which those are great programs. But I always start off with a question. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the question I always start off with is who taught you and how did they teach you how to cope with stress growing up? And they're like, wow, beautiful. I might have to steal that one. Go ahead. Because they'll say, (laughs) they'll say, because they'll, because they, you know, start talking, I fell off the wagon again, I relapsed and they're in that whole, you know, anxiety Mm -hmm. shame cycle. And I just like, you know, who taught you how to deal with stress and how did they teach you? And, and they look at me and I'm like, I said, I always say, no, what, no one was taught how to deal with stress yep. and nobody got their needs met in childhood. Everybody has something. Yeah. And so all that stuff is just ingrained in programs in your subconscious. And by just by having awareness alone is going to help you. But then what happens is people go, well, what do I do with it? And they don't know what to yeah. do. And they just keep drinking or taking pills yeah. or whatever, you know? 
Yeah, and that's exactly right. And that's why the polyvagal theory, like I said, uh, is a way to kind of recognize that one of the reasons why people drink, why, one of the reasons why people get de very depressed, one of the reasons why people get numb and dissociative and they just want to check out and they want to run and hide away from everything else. The reason why the body breaks down, like I don't understand um, why my, I'm in a flare up right now or why I'm relapsing for that matter. It's because if you think about the polyvagal framework is that if you think of it as um, a ladder to steal from Deb Dana, a colleague of Dr. Porges, and um, if you think of the ladder, um, think of a, the ladder goes up to a treehouse. Mm -hmm. So when you feel safe, um, there's a smile, your tone of voice. So we would say you're feeling safe. So when you feel safe, your nervous system, your body, we tend to um, connect with people. We can predict that when you're feeling safe, you, even though you had a stressful day today, you, you have the bandwidth. So you're less likely to relapse or to have a pain flare up. But if you go down the ladder from feeling safe, when we're stressed, and your term would be the sympathetic nervous system or the audience may know it as fight or flight or stress. So safe, and when we don't feel safe, the nervous system drops us down to the next hierarchy in the ladder. In the middle of the ladder would be stress. I've just dubbed it as stress. Some people dub it as sympathetic nervous system. This is when people get activated. When you're activated or stressed, we tend to have muscle tension. Our nerves are most sensitized. We tend to be curt, impulsive. When you're fighting or trying to flee from what shows up inside of you, outside of you, or whomever's in between you, your life basically. And when you're trying to fight and we will do anything and everything to get out of it. And this is when the likelihood of drinking will activate because we're stressed and I don't know how to deal. I love, I love that. How do you cope? Who taught you how to cope? And how do we cope is we cope with what our nervous system, whomever you believe created it, put in a system that when you're feeling overwhelmed, you can either fight it or flee from it. And fleeing is by the alcoholism and fleeing is when we desperately spend thousands of dollars trying to figure out how to get out of pain. So the part here is when we go from safe to stress, remember, think of the latter. And when you're stressed and you cannot fight or flee from what shows up, your nervous system has a beautiful mechanism that shuts you off. Safe, stress, and when you cannot fight or flee from what shows up inside, outside, or whomever's in between you, mm -hmm. it puts you down to the shutdown phase. And mm -hmm. this, is when, this is when the relapse happens and you just keep using or this is when the flare-up happens. And by the way, this is when your trauma symptoms, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, the neglect, the witnessing of the domestic violence, all that stuff unfolds. So the past really just floods you to the point like a tsunami that shuts you down into a state of shutdown. And a simple way to look at it is it's called the freeze and flop. That was basically the autonomic nervous system. I I love that. I love I love a visual and a ladder because you know we you know we talk about this kind of stuff and you know uh, but I don't think most of the audience listeners will always be someone in the medical profession. I love right. that you painted the picture of a ladder. You know um, that is just so easy to remember that ladder um, when you're going down, <laughs> sort of speaking. Yeah. And I love that you said that you are in your trauma because this is because anxiety. You know, with talking with my clients, you know. I was the queen of anxiety over here, panic attacks before, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, living in frustration, unfulfilled, dissatisfied with life. Didn't, I just thought I was unhappy because I worked a lot, you know, I just thought, you know, that's what was going on. 
Um, but you know, in dealing and dealing with anxiety, which can come in different forms, like uncertainty, uncertainty used to be a horrible thing for me. Now I look for the opportunities and certainty. I love uncertainty, bring me the uncertainty, <laughs> but, um, but that's what I tell my, my clients is I say, you know, cause I try to explain the importance of slowing down your breath Yeah, and I, I tell them we're going to, and I practice it with them. And I said, we're going to take five because, and I call it take five. I just made it yes. up, but you know, we're going to breathe in five seconds, hold for five seconds, and then breathe out for five seconds. Cause I tell them, you know, your frontal lobe goes offline. Yeah. The other parts of your brain say, we're not safe. We're not safe. Mm -hmm. And so I say, I literally say this less. I said, you were literally back in your childhood. Wow. So you, listen, you were just so organic in that sense. That's beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah. I just, I love, it. I love that we're connected. This is just great. I have chills. Um. So yeah. So that tell them, and I say, so the breathing part gets your frontal lobe back online, you know, and you're calming your body. And so we'll practice it. And literally, I mean, you can feel the energy in the room just go, Beautiful. you know, and so I, I love that. So if you're okay, let me ask you this. So when you're going down that ladder, you know, um, how do you get back at the top again? Great question. Well, there's a variety of things. I think you already alluded to it. So the way I look at the breath, the breath is not just the breath. Um, can you imagine if we wake up and forget to breathe? So uh, it's controlled by the autonomic nervous system. So, right, so it's that's why it's automatic. Um, so with that said, uh, what, what can we do to move up the ladder? There's a variety of things. And that's basically speaks to the vagus nerve. Um, and so it's very mystical to many people, but the reality is this, anytime, as you said, anytime you take pause, it actually does help. Anytime you tend to slow your breath down, it does help. Let me kind of explain this. I call the I call breath work this. Breath work is the remote control of your nervous system. Let me explain this. One of the things is the breath work is this. When you breathe, it deactivates your primitive parts of your brain. Mm. So it's like a volume, a, a volume control is what it is. And so when you deactivate the most primitive parts of your brain, specifically the brainstem and also the limbic system, the animal brain, the animal brain, and the emotional brain. When you breathe, you're basically turning the volume down. So breath work is the remote control of your nervous system. When you actually do pause or even use some form of breath work, you put a, you put a wedge between your activation and the outcome of it. So in doing putting that pause or that breath or take five, it's beautifully said, we now have science that shows your frontal lobe like a Wi-Fi comes back on. Now the wisdom in you is there. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. The frontal lobe is your wisdom. Yes. I love that. I'm going to steal that. Okay. I love <laughs> that. That's just, I'm going to think about that all day long. Your wisdom. Gosh, that is great. That is yeah. just great. I love that. So what are, so we were talking about, you know, stimulating the vagus nerve. Um, so what are some ways that you teach, you know, your, your clients and in your community, how to stimulate the vagus nerve? Yeah, absolutely. A couple of things is that's out there that's been evidence-based that shows you. So as simple as it sounds, humming. Do you guys remember, you might have seen movies and, and stories and even written books where slaves hummed and sung mm. while they were picking cotton. Ask yourself, why did they do that? Well, one reason why they actually sang was to communicate messages, by the way, just a little side note Ooh. there. But the reality, yeah, to communicate about danger and things like that. They used to sing it. Oh, gosh. 
Yeah, so we're gonna have to thing. talk offline about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so one of the other things is this now is humming is a vibration. Uh, we're not talking like metaphysical vibration. We're talking like physiological vibration. Mm. That vibrates, so the brain likes the vibration. So humming, singing, laughing. This is gonna be funny, but my patient's like, "What?" I'm like, "You gotta try it. Don't knock it till you try it." Humming, breathing, you know, um, gar gargling. Yes. So this is the part where my my patients go like gargling. I'm like, just try it. When you're feeling distressed, put in some water. And so my patient's like, I don't want to do that. So I said, try it in the morning. If you have Listerman or whatever your mouthwash is, if you want, if that's what you do. And I'll put it in water there after you get done brushing your teeth. Gargle for just five seconds. And notice what it feels like in your body. Most people gargle and they go like, well, doesn't feel nothing. Well, how about after you gargle, just slow your breathing down, you'll notice that there's some sort of a hum to you. There's a calmness. Now, a couple other things is this meditation, right? We talked about breath work already. Meditation is basically being able to focus on something like your breath. And every time something shows up, you kind of label it or acknowledge it and come back to your breath. So you're not bothered by it. I call it being in the middle of the tornado, being in the middle of it. So when you learn to be less reactive and more responsive to what shows up, so meditation is helpful. Now, here's the exercise, believe it or not. Now, um, also, research has shown that your health, the gut. So, you know, when you don't eat healthy and you're eating all these processed foods, actually, we now found out that eating healthy does help the vagus nerve. But in simplicity here is this is one of the things I've been doing in my clinics is I use something called the safe and sound protocol, mm. SSP. This is the creation of Dr. Stephen Porges, the creator of the polyvagal theory. Basically, I deliver intervention through an app. And so what happens is this, uh, if I wanted to speak just a little bit about it was, so when I'm trying to stimulate the vagus nerve uh, at the safest level, I want to use the best outcome possible. So um, if someone is like, what is the safe and sound protocol? The safe and sound protocol is basically filtered music. So check it out. You get to listen to music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, which is cool, but that's not the intervention inside the music the frequency changes. The frequency changes to match. Now, listen to my tone of voice. It's pretty chill. It's pretty pace. So they figured out what the brain can hear and what kind of frequency will actually sense, check this out, cues of safety to the brain, to the vagus nerve, and the vagus nerve back up to the brain. So they figured it out, and Stephen Porges used this with children with autism, who were hand flapping or not engaging, as most people know, um, ask, um, autism. It's hard to train them. They don't look you in the eye, right? They have severe things from biting their lips to banging to now noise sensitivity. So he tested this safe and sound protocol. Again, it's music, but inside the music, the filter, the frequency changes. The kids who are autistic severely could now learn and the behavioral interventions became better. So then Stephen Porges and his team tried it with trauma. This is all 2020, and this is coming forward now. Wow. Hit, so they this hadn't is, used it with this chronic is pain. breakthrough stuff. It is, and no one had ever used the safe and sound protocol using trying to stimulate the vagus nerve with chronic pain in this manner, delivering it through an app. So what happened was when 2020, I met Porges, and he says, hey, I have this thing I've been using with autistic children and, and trauma. And I'm like, well, I do not differentiate between um, trauma, uh, trauma and chronic pain. I often have a saying, same pantry, like same cupboard, 
same pantry, different shelves of the brain. So, and so what I did was now to stimulate the vagus nerve, I have the prehab before the rehab. And the prehab is basically, can I calm your autonomic nervous system? So then you will listen. And should you need to do trauma work, if you need to do addiction recovery work, if you're coming down, you're like, you're relapsing, relapsing. So if I use this and shift your autonomic nervous system to be rebalanced from a, check this out, from a state of stress and shutdown to a state of safety, your recovery tends to be improved. You tend to actually be more compliant with medical treatment and you seem to process emotions with ease or easier to process trauma emotions from the root cause. That is astounding. That is just, I'm having another full circle moment because part of my healing journey, what I would do, I had a routine when I figured when I was like looking at the vagus nerve and all that stuff. Oh, cause by the way, you can also, cause that part of your, your nerve. So you have your fight or flight part of your nervous system. And then the other part is your rest or digest, yeah. which is your vagus nerve as part of that system, but nobody's resting or digesting less. Everyone's <laughs> like, God, it feels like they got to answer their phone really fast. That's fight or flight going through a drive-through ordering food, your mom calling, whatever, you know, trying to avoid going to that party. You don't want to go to all of that's fight or flight, you know? And so so what I, my routine would be, it's just so fascinating. I just love it. So you can lay on your abdomen for 10 minutes and that can stimulate your vagus nerve too. In the beginning of the pandemic, you know, they were, couldn't figure out why people were dying. Like, you know, when they put them on ventilators and they were yeah. still dying and then they ended up flipping them over and they would get better. And yeah. so, so I, um, so I would do that. And then uh, take a cold shower because cold shower helps too with, with stimulating yeah. your vagus nerve and immunity. And then I would get in my car, my way to work and listen to meditation music. Like I did all of those things. That is just, I am, cool. I'm just blown away. I want to stop and pause real quick. Cause I want to make sure that everyone, the listeners, the audience, everyone who's watching, listening knows where, before we go on, knows where to get this information. What is the name of the app? How do they, how do they get this app? Sure, absolutely. So one of the things that the, the Safe and Sound Protocol uh, is called SSP. Um, the best way to do that is if you go to Google and type it in um, SSP um, or type in Safe and Sound Protocol. It's, um, it's under the company name Unite, U-N-Y-T-E hyphen I-L-S, Integrated Learning Systems. And that company basically is in charge of purchases. So basically it's like the polyvagal theory in application in the clinic. I love it. That's just, that is just beautiful. I just love that. Can you believe it? We truly can heal ourselves. Thank you everyone for listening to part one of episode 34, the polyvagal theory. How to Heal Chronic Pain Through the Polyvagal Theory. Check out Les and I's conversation on YouTube under my YouTube handle, Christine Zethras, Z-E-T-H-R-A-U-S. And don't miss out on part two of our conversation. What was interesting was we had technical issues, which ended up cutting our recording. And then we hopped right back into it a few minutes later. Nothing is an accident, my friends because the second part is mind-blowing. Thank you to all the listeners of How Coronavirus Saved My Life podcast. 
If you want to know more about me and hear crazy family stories, hop on over to the podcast I make with my sister. It's called The Family Burrito. My sister, Jessie, and I made the podcast after our dad died in March of 2021. We did it as a way to heal our childhood wounds. Now we are healing and now we're having a good time. So if you want to hear more stories, crazy sense of humor, and get to know my personality a little bit better, hop on over to The Family Burrito anywhere you get your podcast streaming.